that's what meditation's like is you're just learning to navigate that inner wilderness and then soon you realize it's not a wilderness at all it's it's like heaven you know it's just unfamiliar because we don't spend much time in it welcome back to another episode of everyday endorphins this week is all about demystifying meditation meditation misconceptions and how to find more inner peace in your day-to-day life I am so thrilled to bring Cassandra Bianco onto the podcast this week to discuss all of those topics. Cassandra is not only a meditation teacher who has been trained with world-renowned instructors, but she is also the founder of WellBeings, which is a corporate wellness company. Her work has been featured in the New York Times around demystifying meditation, and she's worked with a variety of wellness brands and advised some of the world's most disruptive companies like Spotify and Klarna on corporate wellness and the value of bringing mindfulness into the workplace and how you can adopt certain mindfulness practices in your day-to-day life. In this interview, we discuss everything related to meditation, how Cassandra got interested in meditation, her approach to teaching mindfulness and meditation, and we also talk a little bit about women's circles and how you can get involved. Prior to our conversation, I actually knew nothing about women's circles, so stick around for the end where we talk a little bit about the work that Cassandra is doing there. About halfway through the interview, Cassandra actually leads us through a guided five-minute meditation. She was recording this with me sitting outside, and so throughout the interview, you can hear birds chirping in the background. It's a pretty serene and calming sound and backdrop for the interview to be taking place, so it's quite fitting with the content that we get into today. But before we get into it, Remember to like, rate, and review this podcast on whichever listening platform you prefer. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, Cassandra. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. How are you doing today? Thanks, Stella. I am good. I am here in Hawaii with the birds and the chameleons, so I'm happy. (laughs) I can hear the birds chirping through the computer, and honestly, it's putting me in such a relaxed and meditative state. It's funny. There's some sounds and some like certain people's voices that tend to really calm me down and I can feel it like in my body like there's a change in like an internal feeling just based off of like what I'm listening to or who I'm listening to there's some people that just like instantly put me in that meditative state and that's the vibe that I'm feeling (laughs) just from starting this interview so I already feel really calm and centered perfect we'll have the best interview ever then Let's get into it. So I'd love to start off by having you talk a little bit about yourself and, you know, as a meditation teacher, how did you develop your passions for health and wellness? Yeah, you know, I think for me, it was definitely returning to who I was when I was little. And Hawaii's definitely shown that to me is, you know, when I was little, I was, I grew up in Miami and I loved playing with all the animals and being in nature and, doing lots of creative art activities. And um, I think so much um, education for youth is the message is like, you know, you have to figure out who you are. You know, one day you'll know who you are. And in fact, kids know who they are. You know, Um, they might not know exactly what career they are. But I think that, you know, I it took many, many years now at 36 for me to kind of return to, you know, that's more or less what I do now. I teach meditation. I teach creativity workshops. Um, you know, when I was little, I used to put all my stuffed animals in a circle and talk to them. Now I do that with teens and tweens and women. And, you know, kids tell them who we are and we need to listen to them when they tell us those things. So I wasn't necessarily a very meditation at all, meditation focused. Didn't know what that was back then, like many of us. But um, 
but yeah, that, that part came later and it's been the greatest gift ever. And so that's why I've dedicated my life to it. It's funny that you mentioned that you used to put your stuffed animals in a circle because I did the same thing. And I don't know <laughs> if it's because I was an, I'm an only child, so I had to find ways to entertain myself. But I would have my stuffed animals in a circle and I had a whiteboard in my bedroom, in my childhood bedroom, and I would teach them like creative writing, like how to write a story or like simple math, things that I was learning in school. So I don't know if it was just a product of figuring out how to occupy my time or if there's maybe a greater meaning to that around the symbolism of teaching. Yeah, sounds like you're a teacher. (laughs) (laughs) And we'd connected offline about your experience as a meditation teacher and also being instructed by other meditation teachers who are very prominent in the field. So I'd love for you to share a little bit more about some of the lessons that you learned through the process of meditating on your own and then going through that to actually become a meditation teacher. Yeah, definitely. So unfortunately, and I think we talked about this when we met, but most meditation is divorced from yoga in America and in the West, um, which is crazy because historically you did yoga to prepare the mind for meditation. So the asana, the physical practice you prepared. um, And I, I do believe that. So I didn't, you know, I had taken yoga for like maybe 15 years and did my yoga teacher training And we would do a little bit of meditation, breath work every morning for, you know, six days in a row for four weeks in a row. But there wasn't sort of this context provided or um, the science behind it. And so it really wasn't until the the seed that was planted was actually this woman, uh, Jamie Zimmerman. She was a CNN reporter. She was a doctor and she was a meditation teacher. And when I went to see her talk in New York City, a friend was hosting a nice sort of TED Talk style gathering. And uh, and she was talking about this, you know, meditation. And and I think it was probably one of the first people I met um, that, you know, wasn't sort of the sort of old stigma of like yogis in a cave are the only people who meditate, right? So this was about almost nine years ago now. So now obviously it's quite common, thank goodness, but um, it was really profound and she provided us with a technique that I still do to this day. Unfortunately, she's no longer with us, um, but she really just inspired me. And then there was another woman, Anahita Moghadam, who taught about the neuroscience of happiness. And it was just, it was just so profound what they said, but it didn't really process, you know, it really planted a seed. And it wasn't until a few years later that I friended Anahita on Facebook. She thankfully accepted. Um, I didn't know, she didn't know who I was, um, but accepted. I invited her to our first well-beings gathering. So we were hosting Tatak style gatherings. We would meditate, um, often start up founders would donate their lofts and Soho and we'd have food and sweet green delicious salads and she gave the talk and I wasn't the only one that was blown away and and, and at that point it was a lot of other meditation teachers it was all you know we had an investor we had to show up we had a documentarian um, who did the document uh, did a documentary on the Dalai Lama like somehow everyone had heard about this little gathering um, that I hosted and I realized I wasn't the only one deeply craving this, these wisdom teachings, but also this sense of community and connection and fulfillment. And it was just such a nourishing experience. And yeah, I didn't really understand what nourishing meant um, aside from like, you know, spending good moments with family or friends. But I think it was one of the first times that I got to actually feel what healthy community is like. And that was really powerful. That's interesting that you say that you, this kind of redefined what it meant to have like a nourishing moment in your life. Because I think like when I feel nourished socially, creatively, like I feel empowered and I feel like that endorphin kick. So I'm curious to hear more of that distinction between what you had thought of previously as just feeling nourished versus what that experience had brought you, just having that community that was supportive and uplifting and everyone kind of coming together with very similar values and interests and goals. Like how did that feel differently than from what you'd previously experienced? Yeah. You know, the intention was 
<clears throat> to connect with others that, you know, hopefully would be like minded and open hearted. And also we were just, we're all just giant nerds, you know, like everyone you would probably get along with as well. Just like really get into these topics and we can talk about them all day long, right? They're, they're just such interesting topics to us. So the intentional gatherings is a nice way of describing it that, you know, we're all there to connect and, um, and sort of, it's not always, you know, the word, the term consciousness is thrown around a lot. It's a trendy word now, but it, that's what it is. You know, it's, it's this idea of that when we come together, you know, love and learning about wisdom, like we're all sort of growing together. And in terms of what you said about nourishment, you know, I, I realized that certain activities I was doing in my life were regenerative and I felt really good and um, recovered and healed. And yeah, like my, my plate felt so full and beautiful and other activities are degenerative. Right. And I don't think anything's necessarily bad or good. It's just, we have to be so aware of, you know, what we're placing our attention on and our intention pretty much in any situation. So for me, it's, you know, understanding even just like watching TV or Netflix, right? Like if you watch a really, really good film, it can feel regenerative. It can. But what I've noticed is most TV, <laughs> it's just an addiction or it's just a way to distract myself. And, you know, sometimes you need that. Like I was, I got COVID over Christmas and I was in so much mental pain, mostly, um, mostly just like psychological stuff, honestly, than physical that I did just need to distract myself a little bit here and there. And it was very hard for me to meditate because I was in so much physical pain. So, you know, these things have, you know, purposes at times, but understanding what's really regenerative, like amazing conversation with a good friend when you don't know if it's been five minutes or two hours, you know, we've all had those moments of just feeling so at peace and accepted and loved and those people that bring the best out of us and I really do believe it should go beyond you know our family our friends like if we can somehow channel that energy wherever we go any class we go to any conversation we have whether it's a text or email or phone call like we can we can sort of tap into that energy and then we're able to sort of move through the world that way rather than you know, kind of wondering if you're at a party, like, oh, who's going to be there? I don't know what the vibe's going to be like. Like, you have that inner peace and calm, and that's really powerful. Everyone will gravitate to that. I like how you mentioned that when you had COVID, you were finding it really difficult to meditate because I think that people who see meditation teachers or yoga instructors or people who are in the wellness community, they maybe think that these people are like experts at meditating or yoga and they're the best at doing these things. And in theory, if you're great at meditating, then you should have a stress-free and problem-free life, right? But that's not the case. And I would love to hear a little bit more about maybe the misconceptions around what it's like to be a meditation teacher, what it's like to be so close to the practice and have such a daily meditation practice in your life like how how has that changed your day-to-day -day life does it is it still difficult to meditate and being a teacher how how does that really impact your relationship with meditating because i think a lot of people just see it as something you either like are good at or are bad at but my guess is that it's just something we're all still working on and we can always improve on mm, that's a wonderful question yeah i really I love talking about this because I think it helps sort of demystify all of it. Um, it's just, it's so, it can be so intimidating to people and, you know, I never want that to be the case, but I really see it almost like a muscle in the beginning. And then at, soon on, especially if you're working with a teacher you love, you have a breakthrough and meditating becomes just like the most juicy you know, retreat, inner retreat, peaceful experience. So why wouldn't you want to do that every day? And for me, like I said, I did yoga many years, 15, 20 years. And I, the only meditation I had, like probably most of your listeners, if they do yoga, was at the end, um, the Shavasana, which could be anywhere from two minutes to 15, who knows. And so I really thought like, oh, wow, I guess I can only meditate after I do a yoga class. It just was sort of this unconscious assumption I had. So it wasn't until I started working with my teacher, who I met through 
Anihita, the woman who gave the talk on the neuroscience of happiness, and my teacher's uh, Punsak, so he's a former Tibetan Buddhist monk. And I think there's something about finding someone that really embodies the way you want to live, maybe not all of their life, but there's large pieces of the way that they, you know, speak about the world or, you know, behave, and you really want to, they're, it's very expansive to see people like that in your life that are like, okay, I, I know I have that potential too. And with him, I didn't even know he was a monk, former monk. When I met him, I just felt this like love. And everyone says that who's met him. And he really is just this embodiment of love and compassion. And it's wonderful because there's no, there's no dogma. There's no like, you have to do it this way. There's no rigidity. There's no guru complex, right? Like I, if I went to class once and then didn't show up for a couple of years, he would open me with big arms. So it feels very peaceful. It feels very safe. And um, so I just, it, it's, it was almost like, I like to compare it to if you're going, you know, on an adventure, a wilderness adventure in the forest. Yeah, you can go off by yourself. Um, hopefully you have the skills, you know, the life skills to be able to do that. But if not, it's totally okay to have a guide. And maybe that guide takes you all the way through the forest your first few times. But then Maybe they just take you to the entrance and you go a little bit further and a little bit further. And I really, really believe that's what med- that's what meditation's like, is you're just learning to navigate that inner wilderness. And then soon you realize it's not a wilderness at all. It's it's like heaven, you know. It's just unfamiliar because we don't spend much time in it. So um, that's sort of how I see meditation. And then also, like, I really consider it almost like three different experiences. So for me, guiding, like... I think that's almost the most enjoyable because I selfishly know that I'm making other people happy. So it's like a nice feedback loop because they don't even have to say anything. I can just see their the, the, the relaxation on their face, their body changes after a meditation. And so that feedback, whether verbal or not, just means the world. Often I'll get good feedback and I, I like to sort of dismantle any you know confusing things like often people will say what happens a lot and maybe you've noticed this with yoga teachers and stuff is people get really attached to their teachers because they've helped them so much right they've helped them so much and and it's so easy to pedestal teachers because they seem so all-knowing but in fact you know my teacher always says this and the Dalai Lama says this is like that's just a mirror of your potential you know that's that's not this person's not better than you. Maybe they are a little bit older and maybe had a little bit more experience. So when someone says that was the best meditation of my life, and I say, thank you for saying that, you know, I've said that before to my teachers. And the reason you're probably saying that is because you feel safe with me, you feel comfortable with me. And that means a lot. And you were allowing me to guide you there. Um, So I don't want people to ever think that they need to rely on me to get there. I'm just a guide. Right. You're like the the vehicle kind of towards yeah. their experience. Yeah. And that's why you have all those cults and all that stuff. Cause people, people aren't coming from like a grounded place, right? You really want to make sure you're working with someone who, who has good intentions and, and doesn't let ego take, we all have ego, but it's learning how to work with it. Being guided meditation, sitting in meditation is often the hardest for people, right? Sitting in silence. Um, and so for me, I wasn't actually able to do that until I studied quite a bit with Punsak and then the gaps between when he would be speaking and guiding and meditation would get longer and longer and longer. And then somehow I was sitting in silence one day and funny enough, I like to tell the story, especially for the New Yorkers, but like my first consistent practice was actually just doing deep breathing 20 minutes every day on the subway. So a non seemingly, you know, not a, not a beautiful Maui with birds and, chameleons no the the very loud subway but I did have my headphones on and it can be very hypnotic to hear your breath so just the sound of other well the sound of other people's breaths as well but you know the deep inhalation longer exhalation through your stomach is scientifically proven to relax your nervous system so I was just doing that for 20 minutes and and then I would show up to my crazy, crazy, you know, tech startup job at this incubator. And I became that safe person for everyone because, you know, everyone was giving in to the chaos around them. 
I kind of could see everything going on. I couldn't control much of it. But what I could do is just, you know, offer five minute meditation, which turned into 10, 30. And before we knew it, we had a nice little community of people at the office, you know, that were able to really connect on a deeper level that they probably wouldn't have otherwise. I love how you were doing your your own breathwork meditations on the subway. It, it really goes to show that these are practices you can do anywhere. Like you don't have to be in a beautiful backdrop and on a beach. And like these are things you sh- can and should bring into your day-to-day life. And speaking of the passion that you get from guiding people in meditation, I'd love to take just a few moments now in the middle of the interview to do a little guided meditation. How does that sound to you? Let's do it. And yeah, would you, you have maybe... How much time would you like? Let's do a five-minute guided meditation (laughs) with the birds in the background. So hopefully, my listeners, as you're listening to this interview, you can find a comfortable position and find just some space to be led in a guided meditation by Cassandra. Perfect. So yeah, that is most important. Thank you for saying that, Stella. Buddhists always say comfort and stability most important for meditating. So we always say to put a cushion under your bottom or sit on a chair with feet firmly planted. I actually like to sit in a chair with my legs crossed as that's comfortable for me. And just go ahead and relax everything. Close your eyes. Put your palms on your on your knees. They can be facing down or up. Whatever feels best here. We're going to do a few exhalations longer here. So go ahead and exhale HA out. Take a deep belly breath in. And exhale longer out. Again, really key factor in calming our nervous systems down. So deep belly breath in. And exhale out. Just taking in all the sounds in. And exhale out. One more in and out. Just coming back to your normal breath here. Becoming aware, perhaps, of your breath for the first time today in a while. Just becoming aware of where it's entering, where it's going where it comes, circles back out here. Just dialing in right now to this moment right here, feeling the temperature of the space that you're in. Feeling softness of the clothing on your body. Feeling aware of any sounds other than the sound of my voice. I'm just trying to recognize them as sounds, not necessarily pleasant or unpleasant. Maybe identifying a level of intensity, soft sound intense sound. Go ahead and exhale again here and dropping your shoulders, making sure your jaw is a little more relaxed. And just becoming aware of how you're doing internally, right? Today, going on a little internal adventure, getting to know the internal world here better because we know so much about the rest of the world and 
everyone else and what they're doing. And it's amazing how we know so much about other things that we have no control over. But in fact, the one thing we have control over is this experience right here, right now. So really just giving yourself a moment of congratulations. And just perhaps remembering now that relaxation is in fact the default state. Peace is our default. We are all born this way. So it doesn't require us to go anywhere, or do anything, or climb a mountain. It's really just a return home back to the natural state of how we are. And that's really comforting knowing that, right? It's always easy to return home. It's much harder to sometimes take a big leap. So we're going to gently exhale this little meditation here. Take a deep belly breath in. And exhale out. Just feeling grateful for this moment right here, right now. Knowing that you doing the work self-love, whatever you want to call it, knowing that prioritizing this has a ripple effect. Everyone else that you will interact with and just really honoring the power of this practice. It's for you and for the world, yeah? Take one last deep breath in. Exhale any noise out. And slowly come back into your body. Feeling the weight of your hands on your knees. Becoming aware of the softness of the clothing on your body. And when you're ready, only when you are ready, you can gently open your eyes and slowly back into the space and follow this conversation with Stella and I. I feel so relaxed. <laughs> like this is a reminder for me to keep up my meditation practice truly because it goes to show even just five minutes it's kind of like a little reset and it's powerful for whoever's listening, if you didn't do that guided meditation, definitely come back to this part of the episode. Either start out your day with that or end your day with that because that was so wonderful. So thank you, Cassandra, for leading us in this guided meditation. You're welcome. Happy to anytime. And I know that you also lead these types of meditations in the work environment. So there's this whole term around workplace wellness. And I know that there was an really amazing article written about all the work that you're doing around workplace wellness. So can you talk a little bit about what you're doing, bringing meditation into the corporate world and the impact that you've seen these practices have on executives in their fields? Yeah, definitely. I think the reason why me and my, my business partner, Avi, who's an amazing breathwork coach, we're so passionate about this is we used to work in those environments. So I worked, you know, in creative agencies and startup tech companies, everything from a seven person startup to a billion dollar, now $40 billion unicorn. And it didn't really matter where I worked. It was always kind of felt like chaos, <laughs> um, especially in those highly competitive environments. So, you know, when employers have control over their schedules, right? Like we really don't have much control over our schedules in the workplace, um, you know, we only get two weeks a year vacation in America. So I really think it's their responsibility to provide 
the space for this and employees should be able to opt into it. It shouldn't be necessarily forced on them. For us, we really want it to feel nourishing and empowering, right? Like I, my goal is not for people to meditate with me one-on-one forever. Um, it'll, it's, a, it's a flow. So hopefully people will feel comfortable at some point going off and doing it on their own. And I still go back to my teachers because for me, sitting in silence, guiding and being guided are, are different experiences for me. And they're all very important. So um, we started working with Spotify a couple years ago, and they have an amazing wellness program. And we were really, really aligned. You know, they said that there was no recording because we wanted, we really design every experience for psychological safety, right? If it's a mental health program, the whole experience needs to be designed for that. So we don't want people recorded. Um, We want people to feel like they can speak freely, that it's a safe space. And when they leave the room, you know, it's all going to be dandy. So... Um, we did workshops, you know, on hypnosis. We did digital well-being. Um, they have an amazing meditation training program that they were doing. And um, I, I just feel like, especially now with the pandemic and endemic, you know, everyone, you're lucky if you have one person you can talk to, um, but everyone's going through something right now. So we really have to double down on self-care Um really in in expanding our support systems because you know unfortunately we don't all live in community or or tribes anymore but when we did it was it was so powerful because at any given moment someone's going to be having a great day and someone's going to have a depressing moment and that's just the flow of life so when you have a support system in place everyone kind of can handle whoever's going through what you know it's not there's it's not like we can put some we, we tend to put everything on you know a parent or put everything on our, our on a romantic partner um, but I really believe building that system is important so in the workplace too and um, and so yeah we've been doing meditation breath work uh, really love doing the group sessions with Klarna so the company I worked for in Sweden I'm now teaching the meditation which is fun this team one team of the year and so they were all you know super smart really great and I kicked off their team building session in the beginning with meditation, but really important to provide context as to what meditation is. And also I usually kick it off prompting them, like what, what, what does meditation mean to you? What's, what, what was your first experience? Have you done it before? So that way we're right away dismantling any performance anxiety, or maybe they had a bad experience, you know, with, I don't know, a very loud teacher who knows, or it was intimidating or, something like that. So I like to create this co-creative workshop because then it becomes very empowering for everyone. And they were able to connect on a very, you know, wonderful way in a way that felt comfortable. And I think that's what's so amazing about is we don't, you know, we don't have to give all of our family, you know, trauma away in these sessions. It's much more about, um, you know, just being a little bit vulnerable and, and, and learning to be brave. And when you get to be brave with your colleagues, I mean, of course, you know, of course they won team of the year. So I really think it's powerful in the workplace. There's just so much potential and I actually help other practitioners, like I consult with them on how to work in the work setting and and put together workshops. That way they they, um, are able to produce whatever they do on retreats in a workplace setting. I think that's so important. And I do also believe that to have these types of practices in the workforce, which is obviously a more professional environment, of course, it makes sense to dial down on maybe the spirituality element of it. Because at the end of the day, you know, I think what companies and people at these companies are, are gaining from these practices is just learning, like you said, how to be their more brave and courageous self, be a bit more vulnerable and you know, learn how to make better decisions because mindfulness and meditation helps you to better regulate your emotions and your responses. And work is stressful. Like at the end of the day, no matter what you're doing for work, where you're working, it's really about who you're working with because you're interacting with people and it can be really difficult when you're dealing with challenging people and you need to learn how to communicate well with others, especially when there's differences and challenges and and areas of tension that arise. Also, COVID really was like this catalyst for the term, like 
workplace wellness or wellness in the workplace because we were all forced to work from home. We were lacking human connection because we were isolated in our homes and our apartments. We weren't in that physical space in the office setting with others. And then there was just this (laughs) issue with work-life balance because now all of a sudden you're not commuting anywhere and you're sitting in front of a computer screen for 12 hours a day and you're, you can be just constantly glued to it and feel like there's no fine line between your home life and your working life. So I think it's really multifaceted, you know, how workplace wellness emerged and the role that it's played in shaping the mental health of their employees at whichever companies, you know, that you've you've been at. I work for Accenture and something that I really love about the company is that they really place value in wellness and mental wellness for their employees because you know, I found that when I'm working with a really great team, I feel empowered, I feel inspired and I actually like the work that I'm doing even if it's not like the functional role I love. I I end up liking the work cuz I like being around the people and it's more challenging to find that sense of joy and fulfillment when maybe you're working with someone who you you clash a little bit with or you don't feel that same sense of connection. So I love that you and Avi, who is also a guest on the show, are changing that space and, and making their making there be a place in this environment to focus on bettering ourselves in this way. Yeah. You know, what I've noticed is companies tend to be more fear-based. So they they're afraid of being seen as the cause of burnout, right? And this is a systemic society issue. So I'm, you know, everyone always turns to Google and is like, wow, Google has an amazing wellness program. But I can't wait for every company to start talking openly about the programming that they're doing. And, you know, I was reading articles about, like, I think it was Goldman Sachs and banks about, you know, they couldn't attract talent right out of college. Like they kept raising the salaries and that wasn't working. And then we're offering perks and that wasn't working. And I thought a lot about this because as an entrepreneur, that was always very exciting to me also as a young person, one, because I am an artist at heart. I love freedom of creative expression. But, you know, at this point in my life, if someone were like, hey, I'm going to give you a month of vacation a year, you only have to work nine to four, you can take an hour lunch break, I'm going to personally make sure that I am help you in your personal development and professional development. And I want you to, you know, prioritize your health over the work. And we'll always talk about it, you know, if you need to. And let's, let's, let's create some dream work. Like if, if that situation happened, and I have more or less worked in one or two companies that were like that, right? Like healthy work environments. I'd be like, sign me up, man. Cause, <laughs> cause being an entrepreneur is not easy, right? It's, it's like, pick your struggle. Um, you struggle, you know, nine to five or you can struggle as an entrepreneur. But, but I think that's why young people so badly want to be entrepreneurs is because we're basically saying, uh-uh, no more toxic abuse in the, in the work environment, no more hierarchy, no more saying, you know, there was this term when I started, you have to pay your dues. And I was, you know, I was very much a goody two shoes growing up. Like my rebellious side didn't come out till I was 30. So, you know, I moved to New York City right after college. I went to state school in Florida and it just seemed like everyone was overwhelmed all the time. It seemed like nobody really had mentors in the workplace. And so I just thought that that's how it was. Like I really was like, oh, this is what I, you know, what I have to put up with for a couple of years um, to quote unquote pay my dues. And then I realized, you know, a few years later, like, oh no, that's an unhealthy work environment. <laughs> you know, like it takes a very, 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 very strong, even the strongest, like organization, my, some of my friends are organizational psychologists and it's like, even the strongest person in the world, you put them in an unhealthy work environment, they will fail. Well, I love that you brought up this terminology around self-awareness and the importance of mentor figures. And I wanted to ask about, you know, how can you as an individual bring greater wellness into the workplace if you're in a more toxic work environment or there isn't a like structured corporate wellness program at the company that you're at? And would you say that there's some sort of relationship between the ability to have mentor figures in your life? Does that impact your ability to bring more wellness for yourself into your own work environment? Oh, definitely. Like, I'm wondering if, you know, your listeners can relate to this. But for me, it really felt like I had all these adults kind of on my 
side my whole life, you know, up until age, maybe college felt like a little bit different, but really up until 22 adults were, were there for you. <laughs> then you go out into the working world and it's like adults suddenly are like, see you as a threat or <laughs> then you're supposedly an adult, although you're like kind of still a kid and, um, and you are an adult, but you're not, it's like, it's weird, you know, side of things. So I just remember, and I think we talked about this when we met, but just so badly wanting to meet a woman who had kids that was working and was going to say like, everything's going to be okay. Like, don't worry about it. Like, cause it was just the work life world was just such a foreign concept. Like it really is like dropping in like a third world country or, you know, it's, it's just such a different environment than this beautiful supportive environment that we grew up in as kids and everyone's out for themselves. It's, it felt like, so I, I think that, you know, finding mentors or having elders, um, this is talked a lot about for people in leadership and startup founders are always, they always say, you know, oh, you definitely should get a coach, always have a coach. But I think anyone at any point should have mentors, elders, you know, whether it's an aunt or an uncle, or um, I have some really loving family members, but they can't relate to my, my work life, right? Like they grew up in a very different time. So I had to find people who could support me there on my journey. And uh, yeah, I, I really think mentors, teachers, it's helping bring back the way, you know, societies and other parts of the world live, which is truly in community. You know, you, you have elders that are respected dearly. And because of that, they live to be 100, right? Like in, in America, we have this view that you just die in a lot of pain and disease and I, be, I really believe that a lot of that is because we're not respecting our elders. Imagine if, you know, like we all just like, like in other societies, like just really respected the wisdom of our elders, they wouldn't be put in old folks homes, you know, to fend for themselves, basically. So I think just really understanding how community works and our, our sort of how we can all support each other um, it would be, that's, that's sort of my my vision. And I've seen, you know, I lived in Sweden and I've seen other places in Costa Rica, like I've seen beautiful international communities where people are very much intentional. So these places do exist. Um, they're just not maybe talked about as much on podcasts and stuff. <laughs> right. That's interesting that you kind of bring up this cross-cultural dimension towards understanding communities and like how we treat our elders and, you know, the roles that mentor figures can play in our lives. I do think that it's important to have multiple different types of mentor figures in your life because they may serve different purposes. And, you know, I'm really happy that you bring up this concept around building self-awareness and having mentors in your life because they're there to like champion you on. And especially in the working world, if you don't feel like you have someone on your side when <laughs> being in corporate America, it can feel like everyone's kind of, you know, out to fend for themselves. If you don't have someone there to support you in that way, it can feel really hard, you know, doing your job. And there can definitely be feelings maybe of self-doubt or unhappiness. And it's crazy really to think about how much, you know, our livelihoods and our work can impact our mental health and our and our happiness and our well-being. So it does really go back to this point around bringing greater structure into the workplace that focuses on wellness and giving employees resources for what they can do to take better care of their mental health, ensuring psychologically safe environments where people feel like they can, you know, bring their ideas to the table and are given, you know, the space to share their opinions and, you know, have a voice because and in valuing and you know knowing that others will value their voice I think is also equally as important as well. So it's all very interconnected. And I, in a way, even though COVID was, you know, horrible and we've been living through very difficult times, it's kind of like a wake up call to the importance of bringing greater wellness into the workplace. But I want to transition a little bit away from that and talk more about some other interesting work that you do beyond being a meditation instructor and doing corporate wellness, I know that you also help to lead women's circles. And that is something that is very new to me. And I'm not sure that many of my listeners may be familiar with what women's circles are. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, what is a women's circle and what 
can people expect from it? And what do they typically gain from these experiences? So I hadn't actually attended any till maybe a couple years ago. I think myself, like most are like, what is it? Like, is it group therapy? Maybe is what people think. Or is it, you know, a bunch of mail bashing? Or is it a bunch of gossip? You know, like our mind can go in so many directions if when it's the unknown. And, um, and also similarly, people will be like, oh, I'm part of one circle, you should join. And the, they never really provided much context. And it is hard to explain, but I will do my best to do that today because I, I, I like the challenge. But I really do believe that when women come together intentionally, it's very nourishing. And same with men, right? Like when men come together, it's very nourishing. It's just like we've been doing this for millennia, right? Like women would be sitting around singing, cooking, weaving, um, co-parenting, you know, like often sometimes women would even be breastfeeding other people's children. So it's in our DNA for us to come together and enjoy ourselves <laughs> with, with the intention of relaxation, you know, enjoying ourselves, reconnecting to ourselves. Um, because often, you know, therapy is incredible. I, you know, it was very powerful when I started and I kind of go on and off because I have other forms of support. I, I like doing lots of, you know, dancing and yoga and hypnotherapy. So I, I have other forms of, um, in acupuncture, you know, I have other forms of stuff. And I also have my own, you know, self-awareness journaling practice. But when you come together as a group in the circle, it's in our our DNA, you know, like the circle itself shows that we're all equal, right? There's not one person on a pedestal. And tribally, like your backs are facing, you know, the forest. So, you know, you, you literally all have each other's backs and you can make eye contact with everyone. I remember the first time I sat in a circle, the sort of two thoughts, two thoughts sort of came up. One was like, oh, this is like an AA <laughs> because that's all we see in the media, right? It's like, therapy it's like once you hit rock bottom then, then all come sudden, together then you come together and it's like I think there's a few steps before that that you could come together and enjoy yourself like you shouldn't have to like circling up should not be only kindergartner kids and AA. like this doesn't make sense so um and like horses do the same thing like they'll all circle up like this is this is just like a very like you know primal thing and so I think that's part of it. there's something nice about sitting on the ground too it's very grounding I remember I didn't spend any time on the ground um, until I got into meditation and yoga and I would have these like visceral memories of my childhood of gymnastics and playing in the dirt because I literally hadn't spent time on the ground for like decades unless I was like maybe playing with a child or something so there's something really powerful about that and then just creating a space for us to, it's almost like a recommitment of, uh, I like to almost consider it like a vow. So a lot of times we think of vows in terms of marriage vows, but how beautiful is it is that, you know, maybe your first vow is to, you know, support and love your and be a champion for yourself and for all the women around you. Like how special is that? if that's your vow, and then just continue making other vows. And when we want to make changes, when we're not happy with how things are going, we have to change how we're doing things. So I think, you know, I, I always have, I struggle with, I still struggle with negative self-talk. And I think, you know, one voice that sometimes, you know, I have to dismiss, thankfully, but it's, it'll say like, you know, don't be a show pony or who do you think you are? And that's all, you know, unhealthy post-system thinking, right? Because we want to celebrate one another. We want to shine our light and that inspires other people to shine the light. And um, so it's really dismantling all those judgments and, and try to understand where they're coming from. It's coming from this fear of like, you know, scarcity, that there's not enough. There's not enough. Like we're all, you know, trying to grab the same resources. So if she gets all the light, there's no light for me. And that's, that's not true at all. Um, so yeah, I really, I love when women celebrate each other and um, often I'll make like yummy chocolate truffles and um, it's really, I think the easiest format, honestly, you don't have to be a facilitator. 
you know, that's what I love. Like, it's probably helpful to join one if you think so, but you could just do it on your own with three girlfriends. As a kid, I loved those movies, you know, Ya Ya Sisterhood and Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. I never had a sister, but I feel like I'm everyone else's sister. So Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants is so great. And I guess maybe you bring that up because there's a scene where they're like sitting in an attic or like an old dance studio, or maybe it was like the Pilates studio that their moms went to when they were all pregnant. That's what it was. And they'd come together in a circle and like gather around. So I guess, are you saying like, these are things we can just do with our friends, like just gather and and just have like conversation essentially? Yeah. And just pick like one little nugget of wisdom or one topic, you know, like maybe one thing I like to talk a lot about is this is maybe not a first time conversation unless everyone's feeling brain but I love to 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 pick like to to sort of when I'm ready to share it you know because you have to be understand like what a boundary is personal boundary and what your edge edge is when you're like ready to like get out of your comfort zone for growth but boundary is like not good to cross boundaries usually (laughs) um so my edge is like whatever I'm feeling shameful about right because soon as you can name it it sort of loses all of its power so as you know, we'll go around the circle and someone will say, like, I feel so ashamed if I haven't shaved my legs. And it's like, why? Why? I doubt anyone's paying attention, you know? And so saying that out loud, you realize how silly of a thought that is and how the this ideal of being perfect is trickling in again. I used to be really ashamed of um, my nail. I think as women, we just, we have so much pressure to be perfect and it's so unconscious. Um, but like if I had a broken nail, I'd be so ashamed if I had like one broken nail or and that's all physical stuff. And it can be, you know, other stuff like that or um, yeah, or just everyone, you know, comes together and talks about, you know, what their what their dreams are and, and everyone have the intention of supporting each other and however they can. I think it's really important to name our dreams and speak them into existence because how else can the world help us if we aren't? actually saying like, yeah, I really, I would love to learn how to meditate or I would love to learn, I'd love to go to Hawaii one day even, right? Like this was something I never even spoke into existence. So it never happened. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's been a dream vacation of mine is to go to Hawaii. So maybe one day if I keep speaking it into existence that it'll happen, but you know, it's, it really does sound like it's an opportunity to speak consciously about certain topics that are important to you and also just creating a safe and open space to do so. So, you know, where would you recommend maybe some of my listeners, if they're interested, to start looking for women's circles or, you know, where can they find more resources on that? Yeah, you know, I think this this is like definitely a, it could be a business opportunity, honestly, but if there's definitely a need, it's usually through word of mouth. Um, I think like if anyone feels inspired to just again starting your own it could just be a dinner party and there'd be like one question at the dinner really start asking around um and thankful thankfully within you know meditation world and wellness world it's much more common so i would say like go to the yoga studio go to um you know these places and slowly but surely you know maybe you know you'll find one or ask for one and they'll start one and um, I think that it's just, it's such a special, like I, I just met up yesterday with, um, an, a friend who's a, uh, OBGYN and she was like, I really want it. Like, I really want to have it once a month. Like when are you going to host again? And even when I, you know, I, I sometimes like go overboard and preparing food and like, I, that's the Italian in me. <laughs> I'm all about like hosting and, and being hospitable. And so there was one day I was actually a little bit frazzled and I wasn't sure everyone enjoyed it as much as I would have liked but then the next day I got all of these texts it's just the most beautiful love notes of like thank you so much this was exactly what I needed I feel so regenerated like I I was nervous but this was like so amazing and like and it's like all right like I'm not the only one craving this you know like we all and and people could take turns you know it doesn't have to be the same person hosting each time Right, exactly. Well, you know, maybe we can end with a little women's circle moment here. So one question that I ask every single guest that comes onto the podcast is what is something that brings you a bit of endorphins? So I guess this is what our final conversation can be centered around is thinking about, you know, what brings you happiness in your day-to-day life? Yeah, I think I'm just, because so much of my life for many, many years, you know, over 
10 years was 12 years was working in an environment that wasn't in alignment. Um, but now, you know, anytime I teach, um, anytime, anywhere, it's, it feels so good for me. And it's just, it's that saying of like, do what you love and you won't work a day in your life. Like I really believe that now. And I, I used to not think that that was true. So I get to, so much endorphins from leading a meditation. Sometimes I'll just be like, especially in person, like I'll just be like super high afterward. It's like almost a altered state actually. Like just, I feel I'm so like, I can just feel everybody's energy lift at the end of the meditation. So, and then I feel responsible for it. So that feels good. But, um, but yeah, I would say that. And I've also noticed that mornings that I don't have my yeah, yummy, nourishing morning routine. So I like to do a morning walk in nature as soon as I wake up and then I meditate. And then, um, you know, I have my matcha. I usually have my matcha before I go. But for me, the biggest game changer this year, this past year has been getting in nature immediately in the morning and not talking to anyone and not emailing, but just allowing nature to those sounds, you know, the, the sounds are just so healing for us to hear. Just birds hearing is is very, very powerful. It seems gentle, but it's very, very powerful. And um, yeah, the days that I don't have that, I definitely feel it. So really grateful to be able to do that. Yeah. Nature is really healing. And I think I just saw recently like an article or something circulating in the news around how I can't remember like which, maybe it was like a specific state or country. I can't remember, but some area like recently uh, made it so that doctors can like medically prescribe patients to go like forest bathing. I don't know if you've seen this, but now it's like actually like in physicians and doctors like vernacular to like actually be able to prescribe forest bathing and like spending time in nature as a form of treatment and therapy. And it makes sense because it's incredibly powerful. I've noticed that the days that I'm able to wake up and get outside of my apartment first thing and like be in the sunlight, step outside, even though New York is not a very nature centric environment being in, in the middle of a city, you know, you can still just be outside and, you know, be in the sun and maybe walk to a park and people watch. And, you know, I think you can find therapeutic effects from that as well. But, um, there was really nothing like last summer when I was fully submerged in nature in Indonesia, as I, as I know you're familiar with, given that you did your teacher training in Bali as well. So like that was the pinnacle for me of what it meant to literally wake up and be amidst a rice paddy and amidst, you know, these beautiful, you know, bamboo leaves and just be fully in tune with the environment around you. So it you know, I felt it then and it's something I'm trying to bring into my day-to-day life now of like replicating that feeling. But um, I think your answers are so wonderful and it was such a pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. I love this. Is, I love listening to podcasts. I think I listened for many years. I started actually in Bali and Thailand on long van journeys, you know, two, three hour journeys. And that was when I got into podcasts. So um, it's really a special platform that we have and you're an amazing host how cool that you have a show it's so cool. thank you and where can my listeners find you on social media yeah so social media it's just my name cassandra underscore bianco underscore and then my website cassandrabianco.com so i work one-on-one i'm kind of like a meditation coach if you will um, if anyone ever wants to go travel the world alone especially as a woman i'm your girl i can help you figure out how to do that because I was just as terrified to do that, but no, I had to do that. And it was most the biggest gift I've ever given myself. And yeah, we do online sessions as well. Group, group uh, I have a cool program called Masters in Mystic. So I hire um, all my favorite coaches, teachers, so you get to learn a little bit about everything and, and the sort of uh, different modalities, but from really amazing, special people. Well, you're doing so many incredible things and I will definitely, you know, I encourage my listeners to go check all of this out because it is so fascinating what you're doing and I am inspired by, you know, how you navigated those career transitions in your life and, you know, I I value how much 
meditation is an, an important practice in your life. So thank you for sharing all of your wisdom today. And thanks again for being a guest on the show. Thank you. Thank you for listening and remember to like, rate, and review this podcast on whichever listening platform you prefer. Don't forget to keep spreading endorphins and find things that bring you endorphins every day. See you next time.